so welcome back everyone to another Black Create Connect podcast episode where we speak with some of the most incredible, inspirational, inspiring leaders, black leaders from all around the world. And today I have someone who has executive presence, who has an like, impressive experience, um, LinkedIn top voice five times, right? Yeah. Carol Stewart, she's an executive, career coach, leadership coach as well, podcaster, author, TED speaker, you name it. Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Good, busy? Very good. Very busy. It's been very busy. The past few months have been very, very busy. Yeah. Yeah. What's 2023 been like for you? What's been the the most demanding type of work that's come your way? Um, I I guess because I was working, and this has been the busiest year I've had in my business since I've been doing my business. Plus, I was doing a master's full time as well, which, you know, doing it full time in one year was a bit of pressure, but... You did it. Yeah. What was your master's in? Psychology. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask you why, but I want to get on to to, to this year. So why has it been so busy this year? What's been happening? Um, I think because as as I've been been running my business now since 2012, Mm. and and gradually it's just been getting busier, busier. I call it a snowball effect. So you Mm. know, like you're at the top of the hill and you have, have a snowball, very very small and as you roll it down it just gets bigger and bigger as it gains momentum that's, that's kind of how it's like in business so as the years have gone on and I've, I've become more widely recognised I yeah. get more more speaking engagements more coaching clients more work which makes it even more busier for me which and, is good you know it's great so congrats by the way for mm-hmm. just be having a sustainable progressive business because mm-hmm. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy for them. I think it, it might be. It's just a journey, right? Mm. So, question to, to yourself then. Do, do you work by yourself or do you have a team around you? I have a small team. So, yeah, so I have, I have a VA and I have someone else who is, is doing a lot of the back-end stuff and helping mm. me to automate a lot of the work that I do. Okay. My, my systems. Okay. I'm not really a systems person. Right. Yeah. And now, because we're moving into a world of, like, tech... AI, um, software, all of that. Everything is 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 pretty much built around systems. So yeah. it's important to have that. It is, it is, and that's what because without the systems, then I can't deliver, deliver. properly. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I spend too much time sort of trying to sort things out. So what's the main breadth of your work? So there's so many titles that you have, right? And mm-hmm. I was wondering this when I was looking at your profile. I was like, okay, so you do coaching, you mm-hmm. do speaking, you do your leadership coach. Like what what area would you say you probably do the most work in? I'd say it's it's probably a combination. Coaching is probably the the biggest, mm. but I get a combination of facilitation and um, speaking as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What type of coaching do you uh, do? I do executive coaching, leadership coaching, career coaching, um, and I specifically focus on introverted women who are leaders, who are senior leaders in particular. And why? Why is that? So um, I'm introverted myself, um, and when I started my coaching business. Um, a few years after starting, I started to reflect on the clients that I'd worked to, and I recognised a lot of them are introverted. I said, I'm introverted myself. And I started writing articles on LinkedIn about the challenges that introverted leaders face, particularly introverted women. 
Mm. And I got bombarded with emails, messages, comments um, about from women and men from all over the world just sharing their experiences with me. So that's why I decided to make it my area of speciality. That's interesting. Mm. So what what are some of the things that you covered in some of those articles about introverted leaders? Um, what are some of the challenges that you feel like introverted leaders face? Uh, misconceptions around introversion. There are a lot of misconceptions around introversion. People think that people who are introverted, lack confidence, shy, don't like public speaking. There's so many misconceptions. But that can be said of people who are extroverted as well. And mm. um, how they can understand themselves because it's all about how we interact and engage with the world how we are energized and a lot of the work environment is very much geared towards extroversion and it's often the case of he or she who shouts the loudest is the one that gets heard that gets the recognition and gets ahead the quieter ones often get overlooked so it's about how they can have that presence that executive presence how they can um, be great leaders but still being themselves so without having to think that they've got to put on a persona or act extroverted but how they can be authentic as leaders so how do you do that how how would you coach someone that's an introverted mm. leader into then becoming I guess still being introverted, still being themselves, but being someone with executive presence, what, what would that process look like? So I, I, would, I would get them to look at well, what are their limiting beliefs that they have about themselves, because oftentimes they have self-limiting beliefs mm. because they've been led to think that because they're introverted that there's something wrong with them, mm. or they're in environments where they've been made to feel that they're not good enough because they are introverted. So coaching them how to overcome those self-limiting beliefs. Mm. So coaching them to find their authentic voice mm. um, and how they can just be themselves, utilising mm. their strengths, mm. how they can have that presence and how they can command the room. Mm. Things around meetings, they're quite challenging for people who are introverted. And that's because the way that most meetings are designed, mm. they don't allow for that thinking and processing of information that introverts have a preference for. Not even just introverts, I'm, even me as an <laughs> extrovert, I need time to process information. Mm. It's, it's some, some, sometimes I'm like, what did you say? And you've moved on and you've moved on. Can yeah. you just take a, a, a beat just to, uh-huh. you know? So it's about having techniques that enable them to uh, still uh, participate in the meeting um, and give their best in meetings. What are well. techniques? So things around not because what can happen is they get meeting anxiety mm. and then that then affects their performance mm. so coaching them how to manage that and how to just change the way that they think and what they believe about being in meetings because if mm. they do that then that helps to change how they in how they act in meetings mm. um things like if they get asked a question if they get put on a spot and they need time to process mm. their the information there's you know, they, they are knowledgeable. They're in their roles for a reason because they, they are good at what they do. Mm. Um, and just for them to just offer an initial response based mm. on their experience and their knowledge. And then if they've got anything further that they want to add, just letting people know that they will, will get back to them. Or it may be the case that they get put on the spot in a meeting and they can't respond mm. because they need to think about it. But just letting people know. Once I've had time to process this, I'll let you know. 
the thing is, what you're saying sounds like what people should be doing anyway. It should be. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm processing it. I'm thinking, if if anyone, even if you're an extrovert, if you don't know the answer, you should say, I'll come back to mm. you later on. Mm-hmm. As well, you should be able to process information and to slow the conversation down. Mm. So, with that being said, if there's an extroverted leader that still needs support in some of those areas, would you work with them or would you not work yeah, with oh, them? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. even though that's my speciality, mm. I work with extroverted leaders as well. Okay. I work with men, I work with women, I work with all types of leaders, yeah. What's the trend you've seen in someone that has natural, great leadership traits? And they don't yet know it, they need to unlock it, but what are some of the general trends that you see in individuals, just so people can reflect, and as they're listening, they can think, hmm, okay, I've got that, I've got that. Okay, so listening, being a good listener. Um, Empathy, being empathetic. Mm. Being able to inspire other people. Um, and being able to inspire other people to take action. Because that is what great leaders do, is they inspire other people to take action. Mm. Um, being able to be visionary, being able to um, have a, see a vision or create a vision and getting other people to buy into that vision. Mm. Being influential, being able to influence as well. Those mm. are just some of the qualities that make a great leader. And do you think some of these things can be learned and taught or do you think they're just usually innate? I think it's a bit of both. Mm. They can be learned. They can be learned. Some people are just natural. Mm. Um, it just comes naturally to them. Some people, they can, with sort of some learning and development, they can learn mm. how to develop their leadership skills and their leadership qualities. Okay. Well, I'm interested in understanding a bit more about your personal journey mm-hmm. as well. So as to what led you to, first of all, writing that first article on LinkedIn, because I don't know about you, but sometimes posting on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. now I'm more comfortable with it. But at one stage, I was like, I used to wait days sometimes before I used to press <laughs> that post button. So what made you create that first article about introverted leaders and put that out on LinkedIn? Um, because once I started my business and, and I was doing all the marketing activities that you do, I found that I enjoyed writing. I never knew that I could write before. Most I never really wrote before, apart from writing reports at work. Mm. And then once I started blogging my business, um, and I got a lot of attention for it, so I, I realised that I was not too bad at this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like I said, um, I would often write about the issues that clients came to coaching for mm. um, as a way of me, one, showing my... Um, my knowledge and and as offering advice as well for people and so when I when I when I recognised the challenges and the issues that it was quite common with mm. regards to introverted leaders and I wrote my, those articles started writing those articles okay yeah okay and when you I guess b- before you got to that point of starting your business um, how long have you had your business for now? Uh, since 2012, so 11 years now. Okay, congrats, by the way. Thank Again, you. especially throughout lockdown, sustaining it, that mm. must have been... How was that for you? Lockdown, the, the initial part of lockdown was quite challenging. Mm. But then towards the end of lockdown, and I would say probably after George Floyd's death. That's when it picked up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it picked up a lot after that. From businesses or from individuals? Uh, mainly businesses okay. um, and, and, you know, and more individuals, but I got lots of organisations who wanting to better support their black leaders or black, black staff wanting you to come into coach. And, and what did you do with them? 
did you run training sessions or did you just coach did you go in and coach them individually what, what so was some of them are coaching some of them are doing talks some of them were i mean i had a couple of that contacted me and i thought to myself is this just a tick box exercise mm. because they never materialized into anything it was you know a lot of organizations oh. at the time did sort of make a big thing about oh you know we've got to support our Loads. black employees Loads. Mm-hmm. some of them are genuine genuinely wanted to learn genuinely wanted to understand genuinely wanted to change and i think some of them are a hundred i would say i mean i've had this conversation many mm-hmm. times on the podcast with different guests mm-hmm. a lot of them did it as a trend right and DEI was a, became a trend after mm-hmm. that. And now you're seeing the businesses that really care. Yes. Because the ones that did it for a trend, they're not doing it anymore. No. They haven't got anyone pay, paying to do it. They're not paying the consultant. They're not getting any external training. They're just, they've just left that. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they, they, they don't see the value or they don't care? Um, I think because I think they, was, they, 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 they probably don't really get it. They don't, uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the value that diverse teams and everything brings as evidence to show that they make better performers. But I still think there's some of that. um, Ambiguity. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And also the, the tendency to go for people like themselves. Yeah. And to um, want to work with people like themselves That's as well. Right. There's, there's still elements that, of that. Like you say, some organisations have done great work in mm. terms of making change um, and wanting it to be lasting change, but mm. there are some which... So when you went into organisations and would coach black individuals for career development purposes, mm. what were some of the challenges that you saw as trends because I'm sure when you had these coaching sessions, mm-hmm. you had conversations about their career path, where they like to go, barriers and so forth. What were some of the trends and barriers that you saw? Um, there, there were quite quite a lot of them who feel that they, they their progression has been limited because they are, are black. That I mean, I was quite surprised. Well, I shouldn't have been too surprised, but I was quite surprised just how many people had said that they felt that that was had been a barrier to their career progression or their leadership progression. How? And I know this may sound, people listening might be like, Alicia, why are you asking this question? Mm-hmm. You should know this question. You had this whole organisation for that. But I like to gain different perspectives, mm-hmm. FYI. So how do you think being black limited them in getting into leadership? What were some of the reasons they come up with? Was it an assumption or was it, or was it actual evidence behind it? Sometimes it was a bit of both. Okay. Sometimes um, it was an assumption. Sometimes the, there was evidence, you know, they would see like white counterparts come in after them, mm. get promoted ahead of them, mm. not necessarily having any better experience or skills as them. Mm. You know, that that was uh, some of the reasons. Or because they maybe didn't necessarily fit the, the, that, that particular leadership type mm. um, and also being told and this is something that I hear quite often that they're too aggressive um, and, and you know with that I think there's often a lack of cultural understanding mm. um, people who may be more expressive mm. or um, how they express themselves can be misinterpreted and misunderstood mm. That makes total sense. In 
in regards to, I guess, your personal journey then, so you've been working for yourself in for over 20, not 20, over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Why did you make that decision? What led you to that decision? So my background before I started coaching, I worked for the Ministry of Justice um, in the magistrate's court side of things. I started off in a very junior role, worked my way up to a senior leader, had responsibility for a group of magistrate's courts. Then in 2011, the organisation was going through a big restructure and my role as a group court manager was being deleted. Um, I could have been redeployed into something else, but Mm. I thought this could be an opportunity for me to do something totally different. Mm. And when I was thinking about what I could do, coaching had always been an add-on to what I did as a leader. Mm. And I loved being able to work with somebody who didn't have that belief in themselves Mm. um, to see them then go on and achieve things which they previously thought that they couldn't. Mm. So I decided I was going to start my own coaching business. Had no experience of running a business. um, And I'd done a lot of in-house coaching training, but I didn't have a formal qualification. So what I did was I took redundancy, took voluntary redundancy, did a master's in coaching psychology. You did did a whole master's in it? Yeah. Wow. And started my business. Do you think you would have been successful in your business had you not done your master's? Um, I think it might have been harder. Um, because you don't need to have a master's in coaching to start mm. as a coach but I wanted to get a better understanding of the psychology that underpins coaching mm. and I wanted a credible coaching qualification mm. so at the time when I was looking for coaching qualification uh, like a coaching provider mm. that oh, there was like hundreds and hundreds of coaching training available some of them were credible some of them less so because coaching is unregulated Anyone can call themselves a coach. Anyone can say that they're providing coaching training. Mm. So I wanted something that which was credible and also that gave me the, the that was evidence-based as well. Mm. That's a really good, good shout because I actually have been thinking about doing that in regards to DEI mm-hmm. because, but I, but I haven't really figured out what that credibility would mm-hmm. be because there's so many certifications online and there's so much research and lived experiences and so there's so much training that I've had to deliver that I think what would be a good like you know credible thing to do would it be a master's potentially mm-hmm. you know it's, it's quite interesting but I admire the fact that you did that yeah even though you probably didn't have to no um and I think it's helped you know when mm-hmm. I um, when I've introduced myself because coaching is quite a saturated, saturated yeah. market when I tell people I'm a coach and then Sometimes you get that feeling, oh, another coach. Um, and then, then I sort of tell them that I have a master's in coaching psychology. Then I sometimes see a shift in their attitude. Right. So they think, oh, you have a master's. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know what you're doing. Yeah. Right, that, 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 should, that should make a difference. So I guess, when so before you um, started your business, you said that you managed to work your way up into leadership in a magistrate's court. Mm-hmm. What were some of the key things that you did to really work your way up into leadership? Because again, I'm sure that came with its challenges at some point. It did, yes. So, so, let, so let's talk about yeah. that. Um, so so I, I joined the courts when I was 16. Um, and then when I was sort of early 20s, I, I started to study, uh, do a legal executive course. The idea was that I was going to become a solicitor mm. and do that route. Um, and after I finished the, got the legal executive qualification, I got offered a job in a law firm. They were, start, they were starting a new conveyancing department and they wanted me to head it up. But the, start, the salary would have been less than what I was on working in the courts. I was a 
supervisor at, at the time. Oh. I'd recently become a single mum, so my son was about six years old. Mm. Um, and they said that even though the salary would be less than what I was currently on, I would eventually far, it would eventually far exceed anything I could ever earn in the courts. Having recently become a single mum, I just thought, oh, should I take that risk going into the unknown? Um, but at least I've got a bit of security mm. where I was and um, the terms and conditions are pretty good. And I couldn't really afford to take that drop in salary. I had a mortgage to pay. I had a son to support. And so then I decided I was going to stay in the courts, but then um, did have a leadership career in the courts. So then that's when I went on that journey, sort of developing myself um, as a leader within the organisation. How did you go about developing yourself? I would, I think one of the things back then was the motivation was as a single mum, I didn't want to be labelled as a typical black single mum, as some people tried to do. Mm. And and I also wanted to provide him with a, a better life. I didn't want, because I was a single mum, for him to miss out on things. Mm. And so that was quite a big motivation for me. Mm. Um, and so then what I would just, I would do, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I've always been someone who um, believes in lifelong learning. Even though I left school, I didn't leave school with a lot of qualifications, but after I left school, that's when I went on and got a lot of my qualifications. Um, and I would go for any training opportunity that they offered at work. I would go for it. People would say to me, why are you always going on training courses? Right. Um, and I, it was because I knew that if I wanted to progress, I needed to develop myself. Um, and so I took training opportunities, like training courses that were available, even got funding to do um, training courses as well. So over the years, the... Um, the ILEX course, the Institute of Legal Executive course, mm. I got support with that. I did a, a certificate in management studies. I got that, got that paid for, diploma in management studies as well. And all of that helped as well as sort of just putting myself out for opportunities. So with those courses, what do they give you? Do they give you, I'm assuming, either knowledge um, confidence to go forward for positions and sometimes when you do do training sessions I've done quite a few like women leadership training mm-hmm. sessions and you find that there's people at different levels in a group so it gives them a chance to build relationships so that's why I, where I see the value where did you see the value um, when, when you kind of link it back to your career progression uh, it was the knowledge a lot of it was the knowledge particularly doing those ones which the external mm. courses that was the the knowledge that I got from that, which then mm. helps with the confidence mm. as well. Is there anything else that you think you, you could have done with to help you accelerate further or quicker within your career? I think back then, if I'd had a mentor, I think that would have helped. Because I think for me back then, I even though I had that motivation to progress, mm. I lacked confidence. Mm. A lot of that was tied into sort of introversion and my misunderstanding of introversion at the time Mm. Um, and also um, as a black woman and some of my early experiences which had probably shaped how I saw myself Mm. as a a black woman working in an environment so even though there were quite a lot of people that worked in the course that were black Mm. the junior levels Mm. as I got more senior it got less and less that's the trend that we still see today, yeah. unfortunately. Um, it's, in, it's so interesting. I always think to myself, 
can and will it ever change? Simply not because of, of companies, but because of the actual statistical demographic. Mm-hmm. Like there's actually less of us um, that exist in the UK. So even if we all get to leadership positions, there's still going to be companies that lack representation. Um, what's your, is, is, do you have a theory or thought behind that or not really? I think that, well, so what, so what, one, one of the things I think is that, you know, people that, who do manage to get there mm. to be mentoring people who are up and coming, mm. and that's something that I, I make an effort to, is to mentor younger women um, to help them to progress as well and okay. to, give, to help them to, because that's something that I didn't have when I was younger. Yeah. Um, and just giving them that support and encouragement and helping them to navigate those barriers. But then also, do you think that um, a mentor that, say, kicked off their leadership career, say, 20 years ago, would be able to support someone now that's just about to start it, only because of the changes in the way of working and the landscape and how you actually gain influence? Because what I'm realising, the trend is, which may not have been the case at your Mm -hmm. time, is that you have more leadership buying power when you have a personal brand. Mm-hmm. Like companies see you as, oh, we're influential outside. And the, you may not necessarily be a great leader, but they automatically think you'll be a great leader because mm-hmm. of your influence on the outside. Was it like that back then? Personal branding wasn't... So yeah, it wasn't a thing, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think someone, as you, you know, in answer to the question, someone who was a leader 20 years ago... Mm. If they keep, if they've kept themselves relevant, then they would be able to. Yeah, if they could, and and that is one thing that when I'm sort of delivering training or coaching around sort of uh, personal brand or sort of leadership development, it's about keeping yourself marketable. Um, and I'd say to people, look at yourself as a brand. Mm. Um, you know, you look at the, the, the big brands, and one one analogy that I use, I look at brands that are say like blockbusters, um, Kodak. Well, were those that were big brands when I was young, mm. which are no longer here. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. they didn't stay. They didn't keep ahead with the times. They didn't mm. keep themselves relevant. Net, I think Netflix offered to buy out Blockbuster, but or I can't remember the split yeah. on those lines. Uh-huh. But no, they didn't. Um, they're no longer here. They didn't move with the times. And, and as leaders, we need the landscape is changing. Com- Constantly, and even more so, the pace mm. of change is getting quicker and quicker and quicker. And, and, <laughs> and we need to keep ourselves relevant and marketable. Honestly, mm. like, I, and again, I'm still on my career journey, um, as probably most listeners are. And every single week, there's a new, have you tried this? Have you done mm. this? Even just last week, my friend was at my house and she was like, you need to jump on TikTok. And I said, because I, I watch TikToks and I've previously posted like silly videos, but nothing that's thought through. She was like, you know, you need to be serious about your TikTok. That's where you can grow your brand and that's where you can do more. And I'm like, oh, that's another thing. That I, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, this is, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. But I look at my current schedule and I think, okay, where can I fit this additional task in? Mm-hmm. Um, I have my internal answer, but what would you say to individuals that think like that? So they've been doing the same thing for 10, maybe 5, 20 years or so, but there's trends that require more time mm-hmm. for them to, to, to put in. So then what would you say is a way to approach that in a, in a wise way? 
I'd say, well, look at where it's going to add value, what is going to add value to what you're doing. Um, and if you're, say, I don't know, using Twitter and Twitter's not really saying anything and you know that TikTok is where your audience is, don't feel that you have to be on Twitter. Use TikTok instead. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. So it's just about maybe swapping around the time. Yeah. 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 And finding where. So what I see some people do is spread themselves too thin and they've mm. got to be on TikTok. They've got to be on Instagram. No. They've got to be on LinkedIn. They've got to be on Facebook. They've got to be on everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's impossible. It is. It's impossible. I can contest to that. Like I've recently just put a pause on my Instagram account. And it's one of the most adult decisions I've made. Mm-hmm. Like, I've deactivated it for a little bit because there was, A, that was another way for people to contact me unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, if you really want to have a conversation, you can email me. <laughs> you know, for real. And then also, it was just another channel that, because it was active, I had to stay on. Yeah. And I had to, it's like, I have to post. I have to be active because I'm on it. But when I'm like, it's not active... I can switch off from mm-hmm. it. And it's actually been so, so useful. So with that being said, if people are still trying to figure out what their platform is, how mm-hmm. to really engage with their personal brand, what advice would you give to them? Like what things should they be paying attention to to really know what to pay, what mm-hmm. channel to pay attention to? So I'd say, well, figure out what, what is it that you want? What is your objective? What is mm-hmm. it that you're trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever it is that you're, whether you're, say, like a business or if you're a leader in an organisation, mm. think about what is it that you want to achieve. Mm. Think about your audience. Who is your audience? Mm. Where are your audience going to mm. consume information, that, the kind of information that you want? So for mm. me, I know my audience is on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, that is where I keep my focus. Yes, there may be some on Instagram, there may be some on Facebook, mm. but LinkedIn is... Well, really. yeah, so that's why I keep my focus on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, and I don't really, I have a presence on other platforms, but not to the extent as I do on LinkedIn. Yeah. Depending on the nature of what it is that you do, TikTok may be better or Instagram may be better. Yeah. So it's about figuring out where people are consuming that information that you have to offer. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like with Instagram, it's much more aesthetic. Mm. Um, like that's the place for aestheticness and yeah if that's your focus fantastic Instagram but mm. I feel like TikTok is more for quick fast yeah. bite sized content and LinkedIn is my favourite because I can go long I can go long I can just I can talk mm. for, for a little for a little while I can write a long sentence Twitter's too limiting yeah. I'm a long winded person that's why podcasts work <laughs> work, work really good for me <laughs> you know so I completely understand you yeah Back to your so back to your journey, right? So you you worked in the magistrate school. Before you worked in the magistrate school, did you actually get an undergrad degree? Or no. did, you didn't get an undergrad degree at all? No. What was your journey before before then? So So before that, I left school at sixteen with some I'm gonna show my age now. Oh levels. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That way my mum has it. <laughs> but, uh, and at the time I'd got into college and also um, it was at the time when they bought them out what they called youth training schemes. Mm. Um, and they had a, a course, um, which was a youth training scheme, which mm. I, I decided I'll do that instead of going to college. And mm. so with the youth training scheme, um, you worked. So initially you would work for four days mm. and college one day, and then it would change over after six months, four days at college, one day working. 
And so I opted for that. And whilst I was on a couple of months into the youth training scheme, my work placement was the magistrate's court in Sheffield, because that's where I'm from originally. Um, and a job came up and they encouraged me to apply for it. And so I applied for it. Um, and then when they said to me at the time, because I was still under 18, that they would pay for me to study. But That's I, so nice. I was like, I'm earning money now. I don't need to yeah. study. And so I said, thanks, no, no thanks, yeah. and um, started working and earning the money. But then as I probably got into my early 20s and I recognised, no, I do need to st- continue studying, but then I had to pay for it myself. <laughs> Who are your, in your influences or your, I guess, your confidence? So... Whilst you was growing up, did you have parents that were on your case? Did you have a big sister? Did you have a big cousin? Like, who was there for you to guide you? Um, and then my parents, they, 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 they were, you know, like my, my dad would be, but they would do probably do it in a way that um, I wouldn't necessarily was how I would say encouraged my son today. So my, my dad would be like, go read your book, that kind of thing. That's it. Yeah. Any book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so um, that was the kind of thing, you know, read, read your book, study, do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So okay. I had that. They were very good role models in terms of the values that they had mm. um, about sort of working and family and that sort of thing, which um, are values that I kind of stand on. What type of values, if you, if you just want to go into them, so working a family, what, what values were they with working a family? They're sort of the, um, like, family first type thing. Right. Yeah, you know, they were very much um, provided for the family, made sure, you know, we weren't rich, but we never lacked anything. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. And um, what about with work? They worked hard. Yeah, they worked hard. I don't necessarily um, maybe agree with some of the things that they did because they probably didn't have the knowledge that I have um, and the experience that I have. You know, they were like immigrants to this country. Mm. So they came here with nothing and they built a life for themselves and their family, what their own home and all that sort of thing, which are things I greatly admire. That's incredible. I love the fact that you had your parents there to just teach you that A, family's first, because mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it is really important to our family, um, and B, just work really hard. Mm-hmm. Were, were you told the narrative to work twice as hard as everyone else, or not really? Not really, no. Good. No, that's no. a really good thing. No, that's not something that they sort of sort of drilled. Oh, you got to work twice as hard. No. Did you hear about any of your other friends being told that, or not really? Not close friends, but I heard other people say that that's what they told, you know, you've got to work twice as hard, you know, because you're a black or because you're a woman, you've got to work twice as hard. What's your perspective on that? Um, I don't think that you have to work twice as hard, but I think that it is more of a challenge in terms of if you're wanting to prove yourself, mm. it is more of a challenge, but it's about, I think it's about working smarter, not harder. And what, what does that mean for those that are listening? So it's about doing the right things, sort of being, being strategic as well about what it is. So figuring out what it is that you want and being strategic about how you position yourself to mm. achieve it. Okay. Mm. Let's elaborate, let's explore that a bit further. So um, I'll give you an example. When, when I was working in the courts, mm-hmm. um, I was at the time a section, what was called a section head. Mm. And I'd been at a, an event where there was a head of operations from another area mm. was at. 
Um, and she was telling me, she told me that she was pregnant and she was going to be going on maternity leave mm-hmm. the following year. And that a position would, that would mean that there would be a vacancy mm-hmm. over in that area. Um, and somebody who would get up and act up into her position, which would mm-hmm. mean the next level up for me would be available. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, I, I, I want that. Um, and so what I did was I, I made a, the sideways move. The position came up at the same level that I was at in that area. I made a sideways move with the intention that once I get in that area, I'm going to raise my visibility and profile so that when the mm. position comes up, I'm more likely to be in a better place for it. And that's what I did. Made that sideways move. I took on responsibilities for the area, led on different projects. And then when the position was advertised, I applied for it and I got it. Just like that? Yeah, yeah I mean, I went through an interview yeah. and everything. I like that. It sounded, yeah. It sounded really simple. <laughs> it wasn't as simple as that. But, how you yeah, it was like positioning myself for it. How do people best position themselves? And you mentioned visibility, mm-hmm. workplace visibility, especially now in a, in a remote world mm. or a hybrid world. How can we effectively do that? Particularly in a, in a virtual world, it's not as easy because you're not seeing people face to face. But it's about thinking about, well, who needs to know about you? And how can you get them to know about you? And how can you raise your visibility in your profile within your, if you say like you're wanting to get promoted within the organisation, mm. take on projects, lead on mm. projects, mm. Um, connect with those people within the organisation who need to, to know about you, get yourself a sponsor. So that's someone who is influential mm-hmm. like senior in the organization that can champion you and and just showcase your well self-promote showcase your knowledge and your expertise and and you can do that by you know maybe speaking on panels or uh, writing articles for the um company blog or company mm. newsletter or mm. industry specific publications mm. mm. utilizing the network as well these are such important things that I think they're, I guess they're, they're described as soft skills, mm-hmm. but people don't really focus on them. People focus a lot, especially black individuals, on head down, get the work done. When actually, I believe that people that get promoted aren't the people that are the best at the job. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. You can tell me, if, tell me if you think it's completely differently. I believe it's people that have those relationships with the right people. They manage to get and that, is, that is often the case, yeah. Um, and visibility, if you know, if you're if you're just sort of head down, getting on with it, people don't know about you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to let people know about you and the value that you add and what you you bring to the table. What makes you different? What makes you um, the best person for that that promotion? There's, there's some individuals within my network that actually struggle with knowing how to position themselves because they are introvert mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel authentic for them to come out and do a video or write a long post. It just doesn't feel authentic for them. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to people that feel like that but want to raise their profile? Mm-hmm. So there's various ways that you could do it. Um, if, it's, if you're wanting to sort of stay within your organisation... Mm. go to your company's um, LinkedIn page mm-hmm. look at the comments comment add your voice to the comments just by replying to the comments on there mm. can make sure that you're connected with the people um, within the organisation mm. on LinkedIn that are influential or who you want to be seen by mm-hmm. connect with them just have conversations with them mm. and find out 
if you can maybe lead, take, use your initiative to maybe lead on a particular project, mm. join committees really and things like that. Mm. That's a really good shout. People just taking initiative and saying, "Let me lead this. Let That's me do right. this." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, even when I'm when I've been in managed management positions before, like I had a team. If I have someone in my team that comes forward and says, "I'll look after this," mm-hmm. in my head I'm like, "Thank God." <laughs> Like you're doing me a favor. Yeah. Most likely, you're doing your leader a favor. You're not, and I, I used to not do that because I thought, oh, I'm stepping on my leader's toes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But actually, no, you're adding value. Yeah, yeah. And next time something else comes up, I'm guessing they'll say, "You did this well last time. Let's let's just have you again." That's right. And then I remember when I was a team leader, and um, I remember sort of going to my not my 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 line manager, but like the big boss, mm. um, and just asking if. You know, I could get involved in anything, and mm. she she gave me she gave me an an element of the budget to sort of overlook. There was a problem with uh, like the telephone bills, and so she gave me that to sort of look into and sort out. And you know, I did some really good work on that. Um, then there was another time where um, she gave me uh, sickness was had been an issue, and wanted to deliver some training to like team leaders and managers. Mm. Um, she gave me that to, as a project to work on and I organised getting a trainer in, delivering the training and all that sort of thing. Okay. So just by taking these on these extra responsibilities, it's all stuff that you add to your profile, you add to your CV. So these things sound really good, right? But my, my, my next kind of question that comes to mind is, where is the line? Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that line is the line for becoming visible and showing your value and the line of you're doing too much mm-hmm. and you're not being compensated fairly for it. So is there a timeline on this? Is there a thing that people should be doing as they're doing this? Um, is there a stop date mm-hmm. if, if there's certain things happening? Just give us some, some guidelines just so people know where to balance it. Yeah, I think it was down to the individual. If you, if you feel that you are doing all this kind of thing and you're mm. not getting the recognition, you're not getting the reward, mm. then think about, Oh, if you're not being valued in that organisation, do mm. you need to move on? Mm. Mm. So it's all down to people's own feeling and perspective? Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you may want to say to yourself, like, I'm going to give it six months. At the end of six months, if I don't see any difference, then I'm going to look for something else. I think also what might help as well is if, um, and again, I happy to get your perspective on this is set, setting in particular milestones mm-hmm. and saying okay cool I'm going to have this conversation we're going to agree, agree on this on our personal development plan I'm going to do this project these are the things that I'm going to do that would equate then I'm going to go for this promotion if by then something hasn't happened I need to understand the reasoning as to why is it budget is it mm-hmm. hiring freezes promotional freezes that things are out of your control or is it because they want someone else. Mm-hmm. Then you need to. Then you find somewhere else to go. That's a route that I've always followed. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. And yeah, that there's no point staying in a place where you know you're giving your your best and mm. you're giving your all, and you're not getting the recognition for it. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Well, I want to also one other thing that um, I love to get your your thoughts on. Um, so we're in a I think a culture a working culture now where people don't stay in a job for too long. Mm-hmm. They hop. <laughs> I, I think from university, the longest I've been in a job is eighteen months. Yeah, scary. <laughs> when I th- because at the time when I think back to those jobs, I felt like I was there for like seven years. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I was only there for eighteen months. Uh-huh. And I've had in- and recruiters say, "Why have you job hopped quite a lot?" And I'm like, 
Didn't want to do the job anymore. Is that not a good enough reason? So again, what is your thoughts? Because back in the day, I remember most of my friends' parents, they will stay in a job for 10, 20 years, yeah. and that's it. So again, what's your perspective and thoughts on that that change? So I'm I'm from the <laughs> you go in a job, you say that like, well, that's what was my, my yeah. experience. Worked my way up, stayed in the organization 28 years. Um but times have changed. Um, now, um, people, I, I think the last piece of research that I looked at, this is a, a, in terms of like job tenure, um, was that people were staying something like two years in a job in some places. Some mm. places it was like five years. And I think because of the way the, work, the world of work has just totally turned on its head, mm. um, that whereas before it got frowned upon if you had too many sort of job changes on your mm. CV, it's, it's less so now. Mm. And, you know, if you've got valid reasons why you've moved on, then um, it's less of an issue now. It is, it is less. I, I remember when I first started, started in recruitment mm. and that was like a massive barrier. Like people yeah. were like, why have they not worked for this long? Why did they drop up? But now, can they do the job? Mm. Completely different. But um, already, so I guess you're on an amazing, amazing path. You're developing really, really well. What can we expect next to see from you? Is there another book happening? And you can talk about your book, by the way. Yeah. So talk to us about your book and then tell us about what the uh-huh, uh-huh. are. So my book, uh, Quietly Visible, Leading Influence and Impact as an Introverted Woman. Um, and that came about as a result of, you know, what I sort of talked about earlier and, mm. and recognising that it was such a big issue, mm. the, the challenges that introverted women need to face. Mm. And so I wrote my book which got um, listed as one of the 10 best books to read during lockdown that was written by women. Um, and yes, my book has... Yeah, I'm quite proud of my book. <laughs> yeah. well mm. That's incredible. Yeah. Any more to come? I want to write another book. So I told you I've just done a master's in psychology. Yeah. So my research dissertation was looking at... It was a qualitative study looking at how introverted women leaders experience belonging and psychological safety in the workplace. So I want that to form the basis of my next book. What did you find in your dissertation? What were some of the highlights? Um, So some of the highlights were that um, there's uh, perceived introvert mistreatment. So many introverted people feel as if they're mistreated in the workplace. Um, That... For for the research participants, that many of them experienced a lack of psychological safety, mm. a lack of feeling like they belonged. Mm. Um, and when they did feel psychologically safe and feel like they belonged, it was they felt so much more empowered. They were more more creative, more innovative, mm. um, and they yeah, it was just transformational for them when they experienced mm. that. Mm. Mm. that's the thing that's with any I guess underrepresented group like mm. when they feel like they have a voice they feel empowered they just bring yeah. more they add more to the workplace um, I'm excited to hear about that book when it comes mm. out as well and you have your own podcast yes I have too. Podcast, tell us Quietly Visible which is um, it's a podcast for introverted women who want to thrive as leaders and in life mm. and so I will have guests on who are either introverted women leaders who share their experience mm. or, or people who have advice 
advice to offer that audience as well. Mm, mm, okay, mm. perfect. And what else is next for you? Anything else you want to talk about that you're doing that you'd love for listeners to know? Mm-hmm. So the black community or any allies or companies? So yes, so like I said in my book, uh, one of the things that we haven't touched on is that um, I do an, an International Women's Day conference in Sheffield for black women in the north of England. Okay. And um, that came about, we've done that for four years. 2019, I held the first one. That came about because of a lack of such sort of empowerment events for black women in the north of England. Mm. A lot of it is London-centric. I'm Mm. originally from Sheffield and um, we started it in 2019 and it's just growing and growing and growing. Um, Recently, we had people attending from 22 different cities in Sheffield. And because the issue is, and even had people coming up from London for it as well, that's amazing. And, and one of the challenges for black women in the North is that they are, uh, in London you have a higher concentration of black people. In mm. the North they're more dispersed. Mm. And so it can be very, feel very marginalised, very mm. isolated. So it's quite a powerful conference. They come together. It, it was very emotional in some ways. People mm. opening up and sharing about their experiences mm. as black women, racism and so forth. Um yeah, it was very empowering. I guess, how did you manage to get those different women from different cities in one space? Like, what was the marketing strategy? How did they find you? Yeah. So, um, I used LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So, the first year, what I did was I put a call out on social media for... Yeah, but well done. Mm-hmm. You're really humble for all of your achievements that you've achieved. Thank you. Thank you. You know... Really good. And you said you have a son, he's probably 16 now, right? <laughs> no, he's 33. Huh? He's 33. Yeah, six year old in 20. I've done maths. Is that a six year old that you was talking about? Yeah. It's 30, it's a 33 now. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I did terrible maths. <laughs> I was only 16, 17 now, 10 years ago. Wow. It's only one time you have. Yeah, just the one, so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but he, he lives in Dubai now. Oh, is it? Yeah, living yeah. his best life. Living his best life. Yeah. Does he teach out there? Because I know a lot of people. Teach no, out there. he um, he does DJing and events. Okay. Out there, so he um, so he was a solicitor over here. 2018, he he always his DJ's always been a hobby as his. So like when he was at uni, he used to put on events and what so What uni did you go to? Essex. Oh, okay. And then um, in 2018, he heard of Represent Radio. Yeah. Yeah, so he used to have a show on Represent Radio. Ah, what's his uh, DJ name? It's called Giovanni, Giovanni Leckford. Oh, um, and um, so he was working as a solicitor, DJing part-time. 2000, January 2018, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle visited the radio, Represent Radio station. He took out his business card, gave it to Prince Harry, offered to DJ at the Royal Wedding. Someone videoed it, went by, treated it, went viral. And he got so many opportunities as a result of that. So he DJed at the wedding? Well, he's not saying. He's oh, not saying. Okay. Oh. Uh-huh. But he got an opportunity. He got so many opportunities. He gave up his job as a solicitor to do DJing and events full time. Amazing. Um, and then lockdown came. The events industry over here shut down. He'd been to Dubai for someone's thirtieth birthday. He liked it. He decided he was going to live there. Mm. And the nightlife is really good there. So I've been there like four times. Yeah. So he puts on a lot of events out there. Um, he's got like different nights that he has 
over there. Um, and he's also started a concierge business okay. as well, where he sort of provides yachts and excursions for people that go to visit Dubai. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm sure you've gone a couple of times. I went uh, last month, actually. The first time oh, I've been, actually. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. I took my parents there last year for their 30th anniversary. For yeah. Because um, they always go to Jamaica. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, let's try somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> and they loved it. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, every minute I was like, let's go to Dubai again. Yeah. Let's go to Dubai. And like, yeah, no, Dubai's lovely. It is, it is. So I'll be going again soon. He said, if I want to come home in September, he'll send for me. Oh, so. that's the sun you love. <laughs> That's the sun we need. Yeah. You know? I love that. It should be cool now. I think we'll just touch on the point around how you get the ladies from mm-hmm. Sheffield all around. Yeah. But yeah, so. Yeah, so the first year, I put a call out on social media for speakers. Mm. Um, and some people shared it for me as well. So I got mm. speakers from Sheffield, Nottingham, Leeds, Newcastle, mm. Bradford. Doncaster mm. and London, um, Coventry, and then they shared it with their, their network as well. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And so the first conference, 2019, then the following year, because I got bombarded with requests to speak, because I thought I won't do it at that this year, but just be a bit more selective and get people to tell me like a bit about their experience. Um, and because by this time, we sort of, we set up a Facebook group as well um, for it, and so people started joining the Facebook group. Mm. Um, so just communicating it through mm. that. Then each year, it's sort of gone on and gone on. Got got um, support from Sheffield Hallam University mm. as well, letting us use their venue. Then for the past two years, we've had it there. Beautiful conference centre that they've got, uh, and it's just through word of mouth promoting it on social media that it's it's such a wide audience yeah i love that Mm. that's incredible well next time you have one let us know we can share it with whoever yeah whoever might be interested in in going i'm always happy to share podcast guests business information Mm -hmm. events all of it i'm here for that so feel free to share it and a, a book when it comes out as well yes um, as we will provide for those listening and watching a link to um, Carol's business book um, you service both businesses and individuals as well mm-hmm, yeah. um, I'm direct with um, Costin and Price how much does it cost for someone an individual if they wanted to, um, to work with me yeah so for six months we'd work together for six months that mm. would be £3,000 that's good mm. wow okay yeah. and, and, and what would that cover so that would get that would include two coaching sessions a month, unlimited email support, and in between sessions a fifteen minute laser focus booster session. If you say say the day before an interview or a meeting, you just want to set uh, to tech, to sort of run through your techniques. That's good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you heard that live and direct. You know, people know what what they're getting straight yeah, away. Yeah. But um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on today's Black Create Connect podcast episode. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to leave the listeners and watchers with, with any final words of inspiration um, or guidance at all? Yeah, I would. I would say that as I see so many people who hold themselves back mm. um, because of their thinking, mm. because of their they limit their thinking, they have limiting beliefs. That just have that develop that belief in yourself. Mm. Um, and once you develop that belief in yourself, you become unstoppable. 
click, 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 click. Thank you. Thank you so much. Remember to believe in yourself, everyone, listeners, watchers. Make sure that you listen to this episode and share it with someone who you believe needs to hear this message, needs to hear this story from Carol, um, and needs to feel inspired. And thank you for those that listen, watch, share all the time. And I'm looking forward to seeing you all and watching, not watching, having you all on the next Black Create Connect podcast episode. I'll see you then. Take care. Bye. Bye.